0: This episode of the Hope Dealers podcast was brought to you by Finding Hope support groups. Finding Hope is a support group for the loved ones of addicts. Through our meetings, you'll find education, inspiration, and a community of other loved ones who have been impacted by addiction. Each week, you will have the opportunity to learn more about addiction, find tools to help those you love, and discover hope to help yourself as you journey down this road to recovery. Finding Hope currently has over 40 meetings across the country, and you can find out more by visiting findinghope.today. And don't forget to check out new episodes of the Finding Hope podcast with Finding Hope coordinator Amy LaRue coming out every other Tuesday. These episodes will be available on Spotify, Apple, and any other podcast streaming platform. Well, welcome back to the Hope Dealers podcast. Man, I'm so excited to be back. I am your host, Sean Fitzpatrick. We are finally home off the road. Inspiring lunch was a blast. And I will say as good as it is to be out on the road for close to six weeks, there's always a very nice feeling of you just can't beat sleeping in your own bed. And I'm sure our guest today would agree with me. Oh, yes, we've got a very special guest, my boss. The founder, one of my best friends, Lance Lang. How are you, man? I'm doing fantastic. Honored to be here. Yes, we finally made
1: it happen. We did. For a good reason. We've got lots to talk about over the next several weeks and excited to kick it off today.
0: Yes. So this is the first of 10 episodes we'll be doing here on the podcast, um, all leading up to the celebration of hope. That's right. August 8th here in Oklahoma City, we'll be celebrating 10 years of all that God has
1: done. And we thought a good way to kind of lead into that would be to take a deep dive right into every year and and go back uh, through memory lane and and discuss what happened and what God's done and all the incredible miracles. And truth be told, we could talk for a hundred hours, a hundred episodes about everything that God's done, but we thought it would be a prudent to talk about one year at a time, and that's what we're going to do
0: today. Absolutely, because there's so much to go through that a lot of people just don't know about, and a lot of people probably wouldn't think about as well.
1: Yeah, especially probably the early years. You know, we did a, a big kind of 10-year talk at our all-staff retreat in February, and I was blown away at how much people didn't know and and didn't recall about how we got started and Allie's involvement and everything that, that took place. And I, I think there's a little appetite to understand. And if you're a nonprofit leader, if you're a church leader, if you're a supporter of Hope is Alive, I think there's a lot of cool things that you can take away from what God's done over the past 10 years and maybe some lessons learned. And, and I'm looking forward to, to sharing some stories.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, man, I'm stoked. Before we get started, I was going to share this with our audience and Lance, I think you'll find this uh, pretty awesome. So yesterday I'm in the office and I'm buried in 10 year work and I have this little secret tradition. It's not really a secret anymore, but whenever I'm feeling a little overwhelmed or stressed, I'll sneak out of the office and I'll just go get like, you know, I don't know, a bottle of water or something sweet. Yesterday I was like, I'm in the mood for an icy from Target. So, I go into Target, I get my IC, and as I'm walking out, and all I'm thinking in my head is, I got this to do. I got that to do. Some guy comes walking past me in a Hope is Alive shirt, and I had no idea who he was. And he had no idea who I was. And I was like, almost hoping that he wouldn't recognize me, and he didn't. And I had no, and I was like, wow, that's where we're at now Mm -hmm. that there's just Hope is Alive shirts. And he could have been a resident, a church partner. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that's where we're at now. 10 years later, did Mm -hmm. you ever think? that's where we'd be? No, I, I
1: think that pretty early on, I had some idea that what we were doing was working and it could be scalable, reproducible. But I mean, I would be foolish to tell you that, you know, I thought we could, we would be all over the country, that our brand or shirts would be recognizable, that it would be, you know, an emblem of hope or an emblem of, a positivity to people. Uh, no, I mean, I, I had no yeah. idea, but that, you know, you've heard me say this a lot. That's Ephesians three twenty. That's the God that we serve. He does immeasurably more than we could ever comprehend or imagine. And, you know, that's my life story. It's just about trying to say yes and being willing to, to do the next right thing and believing that God wants to do some great things through our lives. And, uh, you know, we're living, we're living on the goodness and the promises of all that today. Love that.
0: Love that. Well, that's 2023, but I want to jump back 10 years. To 2013. The year is 2013 and you've got a couple of years of sobriety under your belt and you're feeling a calling on your heart to not only, you know, help others that are in recovery, but your plan is to buy a home and live with this group. Um, really as you all look to find, you know, freedom in this new life of sobriety, because as you hear us talk about all the time here, getting sober is one thing, but now how do we go forward? Um, but the only thing is you're in debt and you haven't had a job in six months at this time. Can you talk briefly about what it was like, you know, trying to make this vision a reality? And did you ever lose hope in that process?
1: Well, I I don't know that I lost hope, but I certainly got frustrated. And I think that's the the journey of a leader, anytime or a founder, or entrepreneur that's getting started with anything. I I kept kind of running into to walls, and not not just the financing side, but I'll speak to that first. I was in debt up to my eyeballs. I had over, you know, a 10 year addiction. So you accumulated a lot of debt throughout that time. You you make a lot of poor decisions. You put yourself in a bad place with banks, a bad place with creditors, all those kind of things. Um, I had had some friends and some supporters that are still supporting us today that had tried to introduce me to banks and tried to kind of put some credibility on the line for me, but that didn't work either. I I could not get approved. Mm. Um, I I really didn't even have enough for a down payment, but like I said, you know, my credit was so bad, it wouldn't even mattered. And the debt was was unbelievable. And so the, I think the early vision was, hey, let's try to lease a home or rent a home to get started. But I would say other obstacles that were there was just, you know, the feeling of the recovery community in Oklahoma City, not really understanding what we wanted to do. And people saying that what I wanted to do wasn't going to work and the idea wasn't there. And um, nobody had ever done it before. And so why would people do it then? And I think that's just a, a really good lesson for anybody listening. You're going to face opposition. And mm. we faced a lot of that still do um, have every year since then in different ways. But when you're blazing a trail, when you're trying to do something different, when you're pioneering new ground, you're going to face people that don't understand it. And that's, that's going to create some, some frustration or some pushback. And you got to fight through that. Yeah. You, you got to be gritty and you got to push through it. And as I look back you know, I had a pretty good resolve, like this is where I'm, I'm headed. And this is what I want to do, and I felt really um, confident in the calling that I had in my life, and and God began to lay the groundwork for that. And, and the first story is of that first house here yeah. in Oklahoma City in Quail Creek South at Hefner and May. My sponsor in in Alcoholics Anonymous, who I was working with really heavily during that that time early in my sobriety, he called me and he said, "Hey, the house next to the one that I grew up in." I drove by the other day and there's a lease to purchase sign in the yard. Would you be willing? I know you want to own, but would you be willing to lease a home first to get off the ground? At that point, like I said, I was willing to do anything. So as the story goes, I called the guy, you know, and the number on the sign and I began to go through this whole diatribe and this whole kind of prepared pitch. And I'm a little salesman, you know, at heart. Yeah. And so I'm going through the whole thing. Hey, I want to give these guys a second chance. I want to move these guys in who who need a fresh start and kind of using all those phrases and cliches. <laughs> but I never mentioned the word addiction, never mentioned sobriety, never mentioned sober living, any of that. And about half halfway through the conversation, this guy's name was Kyle. And Kyle said, hey, hey, Lance, if you're saying that you want to use this home for a sober living home. That's unbelievable because me and my partner were just saying, if this home doesn't lease in the next month, we're going to turn it into a sober living house ourselves. And you know, it was just a God moment. It was unbelievable. I'll never forget where I was. I was sitting on a piano stool in my parents' house, right in front of their piano. And I crying. I mean, it was just that confirmation moment. Yeah, Really the first, you know, key that unlocked the door to the whole thing was, Hey, we have a home now let's get going.
0: Yeah. And so you chose to live in that home. I did. And what went into that? Was it because you still needed to work in your own recovery or you wanted to be there to have eyes on it? What, what kind I of was ready it? to move out of my parents' house. Okay, uh, I mean,
1: <laughs> you know, I'm 30 years old, live with my parents' Uh, but no honestly all jokes aside I didn't know any other way to do it sure. it was never an option never a thought that I wouldn't live there yeah in fact I lived there for three and a half years and had well over a hundred roommates and wow um, you know did the deal for uh, for a long time but but I moved in you know, right when the first few guys moved in. And, and those are great stories about those guys that moved in with me, but you know, I, I never, never had another idea, another thought I was going to be right in the thick of it. And that's just maybe who I am, but it uh, was really never another option.
0: Gotcha. Love that. You know, a couple of things you said that I want to touch on, especially <laughs> if we have any uh residents listening right now, you know, you said that you were in debt up to your eyeballs because of the choices you had made during your addiction. That's something that a lot of us have to deal with is like, we get clean we're clear headed and everything just feels better. But now we have to clean up everything that's happened in the past. And even you, you know, I think today a lot of our people who meet you today is like, Oh my gosh, he has 11 years sober. He has 12 years sober. That's amazing. But every story has a beginning. Absolutely. And there's always that point. Everyone has been there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think it's amazing to just to look now and say, okay, well, I had a goal. My goal was to get this house. You wanted to buy it, but baby steps, right? Okay. Yeah. You can lease it. Yeah. And I think that's uh, very important in our recovery is that we don't try to do ever too much all at once. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I really didn't have any idea what step 100 looked like. Yeah, I was just trying to go to the step one and then after step one, go to step two and, you know, all things in good time. And I, I was just you know, hoping and believing that this plan, this vision that God had called me to, that he would make the way. And I, I don't, you know, I was kind of naive, I guess. I, I was kind of bullheaded, I, you know, had the blinders on. This this is the path I was walking down. This is yeah. where I was going. And and I just believed that if I threw myself into it with everything that I had, which by the way, I didn't have any other option, <laughs> which always helps you yeah. take out the plan B. I mean, I, I had no other option. This is what my life was going to be about. I had quit my all my other jobs and this is the path that I was heading on. And, you know, God made a way, but it took time. I mean, it took a lot of time and energy. And I'll just tell you a little bit about those first five guys and kind of what happened. But, yeah. you know, I began to, to realize that, you know, home is one thing and an idea and a vision, and a program is another thing, but actually having participants in <laughs> you gotta all that in there. is really the key part. And so mm-hmm. I began to kind to talk to some folks and some guys who um, were at another sober living house here in Oklahoma City. Some were, uh, were in treatment. They're about to get out and began to kind of cast this vision about this radical new idea about a holistic sober living living house who look to not just help you get sobriety, but get back on your feet financially, lay out a career path for you, uh, you know, a next level sober living home. Mm -hmm. And early on, the idea was that you had to have six months of sobriety to move in. Okay, And not a lot of people know that, but that was kind of one of the differentiating factors was, hey, you have to have a little bit of sobriety underneath your belt because we're all, we're going to be about next level growth. Right, We're going to be about building on that sobriety to take your life to a whole nother level. This is before even the mission statement, you know, radically change your life came into play. That's what I was trying to say. I just didn't have the words to say it. And I began to sit down with these guys one-on-one and cast this vision of what I believed our home could be about and how it was different, why it was needed, how it would stand out and what it would do for their life. Most importantly, right? And, you know, we, I went five for five, batted, batted a thousand, all five, the first five guys that I talked to all said yes. Um, Actually four of them said yes. The fifth one was in treatment and he um, got in some trouble and needed a place to stay (laughs) and called us. And so sometimes you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Sure. Um, And so Before we knew it, we were probably 60 days in. We opened February 15th of 2013. It was probably 60 days into that, the home was full and five guys is what I wanted to start with. So I was living with those dudes and maybe we were off and running. Wow. That is just
0: incredible. Now, did you have a history with any of these guys?
1: Yeah. You know, I'd worked at a treatment center beforehand and a couple of them, um, had been in treatment while I was working there. Another one of them went to treatment with me. Wow. And so we journeyed together um, early, early on. And so we're, we're right at about the same time, sobriety wise, we're at 12 years today. And, and, you know, the cool thing about this, I was telling some of our new staff yesterday, you know, all five of those guys stayed um, for over a year, some for over two years. All five of them stayed clean and sober uh, for many, many, many years. Um, They're all doing really, really well. Two of them are business owners. Uh, Four of them are married. A couple of them are dads today. Uh, Two or three of them are dads today. And, you know, we didn't open five homes the first year. We didn't have 50 guys right out the gate. Um, In fact, I told several of our early donors, I'm just going to open one home. And they laughed at me because they kind of knew my personality. They knew I wouldn't (laughs) settle on one. But we stayed for one full year with just one home and really kind of baby stepped our way into it. If you look at where we are now, you know, we've opened quite a few more than one at a time. And so, um, but that's kind of where we set and and that's where everything began.
0: Awesome. You know, it's interesting. You stayed for three years. I've met a handful of the first five. Well, I've met all of them. And one thing they've all said to me is that they were all there for two plus years. It seems like, Mm -hmm. um, all but one, mm -hmm. all but one. Okay. So it seems pretty common nowadays, you know, and it's just instinct, I guess, when you come into something and you hear that it's a year to 18 months long, sometimes without us even thinking, the first thing is how quickly can I get out of here? Yeah. How quickly can I finish this? Let
1: well, me just tell you, it was mind blowing to other people in the recovery community that people were staying longer than three months Wow! at that time. That was just the common thing. You know, you'd stay for 90 days. Um, you'd get out as fast as you could. You really wouldn't want to be there. Um, it was kind of boring. You're living with 10 other dudes. So a lot of this early vision was how can we make this fun? how can we make this enjoyable? How can we make this a brotherhood, a community somewhere where you want to live? Because I knew the longer that you stayed in a controlled, safe, sober environment, the better chances you had for long-term sobriety. It's not, it's pretty logical. It makes sense. You know, you stay in a sober environment. You're going to stay sober for a long period of time and help to build your foundation. And oh, by the way, you're paying a pretty cheap rent. You're able to save money. Um, You're going to church with guys. You're around positive influences. It all made Sense to me, you just had to create an environment where people wanted to stay. Yes, it had to be fun. I know that seems very basic, but the deal I've told people all the time: if life and sobriety is just about going to meetings, well, count me out. You know, right. that's I, it's great, but it's not everything. Correct. I, I want a life worth living, comma sober. Right. So how can you create that life worth living? And that, that I was, and I'm still very passionate about how to create a life worth living for people. And that was probably really the impotence that, you know, the, the momentum behind what I was trying to do and helping guys to, to have once in a lifetime experiences and taking them to the mountains and going on, on ski trips and having fun on the weekends and, you know, going to the fair and movies and all kinds of sporting events, different things and making a life worth living sober and that kept people there. And I'll never forget meeting with a couple other guys that ran sober living homes here in Oklahoma City. And they said, how are you keeping them so long? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, some of it was just naturally what got put in me. It wasn't like some master plan. Yeah. But as I thought about it, you know, that was a huge part of it. It had to be a really tight brotherhood. Ultimately, as a leader, if you're listening, it had to have a really good culture. Yeah. The culture had to be um, uptight and, um, and flowing through everybody.
0: <laughs> That's just... Incredible. And I think it's important to point out too, and I've talked about this a lot on here is where are you really running off to sometimes? You know, I understand that some people come in and they're married, they have kids, but having said that, you know, what good is it going to do if you rush out of this thing and you're just coming right back in six months, you know, and like you said, you know, going out and making this thing fun. And it's really just showing that not only is sobriety possible, but there's a life to be had with it. Yeah. And I think You know, I know I stayed in the house for 34 months. Mm -hmm. Um, I could have done another six. Mm -hmm. I remember my first weekend out, I was like, did I, man, did I rush this? Rush this. I was there for three years. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I remember a lot of my friends asking me, like, how are you staying there so long? And I'm like, what? I I don't want to just have to come back here as a new resident at some point. You know, I want to make sure I'm fully ready. This is a blip Mm
1: -hmm. compared
0: to the rest of my life. That's right. Um, So if you're out there listening and you've got a loved one who's struggling, if you are the, you know, if you're a resident in one of our homes it's just a little slice of college, I like to say. That's right. It's just a little blip. Yeah, and you get the rest
1: of your and life you'll out miss of it. it as soon as you move out. Oh yeah, I mean, as soon is is always the case. I did too. And yeah. I moved out into to our home, my wife and I's home. Moved into from the men's home um, to Allie and I's home when we got married. And there's aspects of it that you miss. I mean, you miss the brotherhood, you miss, miss the laughter, you miss the late night, you know, Saturday night pizza runs and watching games together. I mean, all of that is life. And though it's biblical, it's doing life together. It's having fun, being surrounded by good people. And that's what we try to do from day one.
0: Yeah. I, I uh, made a joke right after I graduated that the thing that I did not expect is that I had to start making plans again. Mm -hmm. I'd realized it had been a few years. I mean, you come home on Friday night and you're like, Oh, let's just see who's home. Yeah. And that'll be my plan for the weekend. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about the first hope is alive book. We'll see you in just a minute.
1: Hey, Lance and Allie Lang here today with a very special announcement.
2: As many of you know, we are celebrating 10 years of ministry this year. Since 2013, HIA has been dedicated to helping addicts, alcoholics, and those that love them not just find sobriety, but find radical life change.
1: That's right. To celebrate all that God has done over the past 10 years, we're hosting two massive events this August. Today, we're so pumped to tell you all about the first one coming up Tuesday, August 8th.
2: This event is called the Celebration of Hope, and it's at the Cowboy Hall of Fame right here in OKC. And here's what you can expect. An amazing atmosphere, a
1: fantastic dinner,
2: incredible stories of radical life change from Hope is Alive graduates, and
1: a few surprise guests,
2: plus We've got several you've got to be here type moments that you're not going to want to miss. One of my faves is a live painting that will happen in the middle of the concert.
1: And on top of all that, one of my favorite new artists is coming to do a special custom set just for Hope is Alive that will include his own unbelievable story of redemption. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ben Fuller. Woo!
2: done yet. In addition to Ben Fuller, the most inspirational speaker yeah. on the planet, is coming to share his heart to ours, a specific message just for our HIA family, and to help us celebrate 10 years. Who is this? Who years. is it? Give me a drum roll.
0: It is the one and only
2: what? Tim Tebow!
1: So make plans to join us August 8th as we celebrate 10 years of ministry. We'd be so grateful if you consider sponsoring a table, inviting your friends, your family, your co-workers, or even your church members.
2: You can also purchase individual tickets or VIP tickets mm-hmm. to gain access to meet and greets with Tim and Ben. And all of this can be done at HIA10.com.
1: Hey, help us get the word out, friends. Please share this video, tag some friends in the comments. Let's get excited. HI Celebration of Hope, coming up August
0: 8th. Today, including interns, there are 66 individuals employed at Hope Us Alive. Um, There are 22 program managers, including our regional and senior staff, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this. There are over 40 house managers living in our 26 home. I ran that stat down yesterday. There are over a dozen community development team members out there raising funds and getting in front of as many people as possible. And I could go on with the growth, but again, I want to take it back to 2013. You're the program manager. You're the house manager. You're the only one getting out there in front of as many people as possible. And I mean, you're even the one making the social media posts if mm-hmm. we want to go that much further. How in the world during all of this did you not only find time to write a book but get inspired to do so.
1: Yeah, that's pretty crazy. All those numbers are are wild for sure. And I will say, Allie was there every step of the way and always want to give her credit where credit was due. Absolutely. um, She didn't join the team officially for a few years, but she was there and toured the first home and uh, was a huge part of my story and, and obviously a huge part of this organization. So the first book, Hope is Alive, I actually um, between the time that I left working at a treatment center and I started Hope is Alive, I began blogging. It, it, you know, blogging is still somewhat of a thing, but back then it was a, a really big thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I kind of found a little bit of a voice writing and, and uh, I enjoyed doing it. And so I would write about some sobriety type topics and some also some things that God was doing inside me. And one of them that I still talk about a lot and I think it's a big part of our organization is, is just say yes. Mm. And, you know, as I was writing and, and kind of praying and living through that season of my life, I got one or two years of sobriety and I'm trying to literally change every part of my life. I'm feeling this overwhelming calling to do more than I've ever been, I've ever, ever done and be a part of something bigger than myself. And I was just trying to say yes to what God was putting in my heart, the doors that he was opening whether it was somebody asking me to speak, whether it was an addict pulling me aside at a meeting, you know, all the small things. It's, it's called doing the next right thing, but yeah. just trying to say yes in every aspect of my life and put myself in new and uncomfortable environments. And so I would write about things like that. And I had, you know, a website, landslane.com and I'd, I'd put, still have that, but I'd put these blogs out there and then I'd share them on social media and it kind of got some traction, okay. you know, in, in our world and people would read it and find it helpful, I suppose. And, and so I was writing all th- all these things as I was kind of envisioning hope is alive, getting started. And one day I met with a mentor, Scott Williams here in Oklahoma city he has been a huge part of my story. A huge part of hope is alive. And I told him my story that day in, in a meeting. And he told me after I got done, he said, you have a book in you you have a book fucking you yeah it's like really and you know he'd written books and you know it takes somebody who's walked down that path Um, of anywhere in life for them to turn around and teach you how to do it before you ever know that it's possible, if you will. And so for him to see that in me was really powerful and and affirming, confirming things within me. He said, you have a book. He said, once you come back in a month, write some things down and we'll kind of look at what could be the next steps and I can help you understand how to self-publish a book, how to get a cover you know, all those little things that I didn't know about. Well, that's all I needed to hear. I came <laughs> back in a month. I had 30,000 words. I had my whole story written. I'd taken all those blogs that I had been writing and I would put in some personal stories here and there. And I had literally a manuscript that I took in to him, put it on his desk he said, wow. He said, now you need an editor. And he kind of took me through the process. And so that was kind of what was happening at the same time that we were opening the first home. I found an editor. He helped kind of rearrange those words that I had written. And probably the book that I'm most proud of is Hope is Alive, the first book, because I, you know, literally wrote every single word of it. And the editor helped kind of rearrange some of those words yeah. to make it readable, um, and to some folks, but it was, um, it was kind of God breathes. It was a really an, an amazing thing that really helped a lot of people, it blew my mind. And it was probably, if you're looking back at that time, you were probably wondering, what is this guy doing? You know, what does he do? <laughs> He's got two years of sobriety. He's trying to write about how to do this and that and the other thing. But again, I just knew this is what God was calling me to do and is trying to be bold and put myself out there. Was a little naive at the same time, which is a blessing that God helps us to have in the early yeah. days. And that book launched a couple months after the first home opened. I think it was somewhere around April, I think of 2013. So there we were, you know, had a ministry up and going called Hope is Alive, had a book, first book out, it's called Hope is Alive and, and Hope was alive and everything was was new and brand new. And, and the book's gone on to to sell and give away over 10,000 copies over the past 10 years. And, um, it's, you know, kind of core curriculum here in the program as well. And and it's pretty amazing what God's done with it.
0: Yeah. That was my next question. You know, you said it's sold over 10,000 copies. It's helped so many, you know, families and individuals, one of the things you always talk about and, you know, really that a lot of people in the recovery community will tell you is that you got to go tell your story. you telling your story is, you know, the 12th step, really, if you want to go that way with it. What's it like, you know, putting that story down on paper for one, you know, like you said, you had a couple years of sobriety, which, you know, at the time probably felt like a lot looking back. You know, like you said, that was pretty early on. Very early on. Looking um, back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so what's it like putting that down on paper and putting that out there? But, you know, then also having this effect where it's it's starting to help people is there a certain sense of responsibility that comes with that
1: yeah I think social accountability um, is a big thing and so I think when you put your story out there in any way you celebrate sobriety you talk about your pains your struggles your traumas anything publicly mm-hmm. I think it gives you a level of social accountability that's positive yeah you know I, I think for me I didn't really know another way and I really it probably in my heart of hearts didn't believe there was another way that I could live sober unless Everyone knew, right? Um, I'm, I'm a secret keeper. I'm a manipulator. You know, that's naturally kind of the, the the things, the character defects of myself and of a lot of addicts. And so I felt like the more I could unload on the world and share with the, the world, the more vulnerable I could be, the more transparent I could be. Um, the better it would keep me. I mean, some of it was selfish in nature, you know, the, the stronger it would, it would help me to be um, mm-hmm. the, the firmer, the foundation that there would be to, to walk on in this new journey. And so, uh, but the effect, I mean, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. I mean, I, I don't, you know, humbly, I'm just thankful that it helped some people and it, I was never wrote it to sell it. It was just felt like it was the right thing to do and, and to yeah. try to
0: help some folks early on. And um, I guess grateful would be the feeling. Sure. Ultimately. And, and you said, you know, it wasn't to sell it or anything. Um, you just had somebody who you respected come and tell you, you know, you've got a book in you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to, you know, point that out because sometimes, you know, when we get sober and, you know, we have new people in our life, they'll see things in us that we don't see ourselves. And it's important, like you said, just to say yes. That's right. And go try something new. That's right. This was the story of all of hope is alive. You know, try to try to
1: get out there, try something new, uh, follow what God's calling on your, on your life and the, and the feelings that you have and, and trust him with the results and just believe that he can do well beyond you could ever imagine. And it is certainly not easy. It's mm-hmm. been a rough road at different times, but I'm so thankful that I did it and I, I wouldn't want to do anything in the world than what I'm doing still today. And looking back on that first year, it was very uh, foundational, monumental, and, and unbelievable to be a part of something so special. And and what we did know was that the best days were yet to come.
0: So before we close today, I just had one last question. Um, you know, that first year sounds like such a whirlwind, you know, you, you get the house, right? You get the first five. Um, it seems like they're going to stay. You guys are having a lot of fun together. A book comes out of this. Hope is alive. At what point during all this, are you sitting there um, in your heart feeling like, wow, something special is building here. Something's coming.
1: It was probably on, on a Sunday night, I can't tell you exactly when it was, but we had our, our very first volunteer. I'll never forget it. They called me and they said, hey, you know, what would it would it look like if we brought it like some burgers over and cook some burgers for the guys on a Sunday night? You know, I know you guys have meetings on Sunday nights. I thought, oh, well, that would, that sounds like a great time. I have we have this little barbecue pit in the back, a little grill, and so come on over, and I'll never forget it. Uh, he came over, he made these veggie burgers of all things, and he grilled these these veggie burgers out on the on the porch, and he brought them in, and I remember sitting around the kitchen table at HQ, which is the first home, and we're eating, five guys, volunteers, and we're hanging out. We have our meeting and I can, I can remember in that moment thinking this is really special. Wow. And this is, this is kind of what some of the visions were that God was giving me about the community surrounding these men and leaders coming in and speaking to these men and these men getting opportunities they would have never had outside of being at Hope is Alive. And it's all coming together and here they are on a Sunday night. And, and, you know, honestly, Sean, I had, a thousand of those moments from that point forward. I could tell you about so many different times God would confirm it. Ah, look what's happening. Look what's happening. I told you this could happen. Look at this happening. This is confirmation. This is affirmation. And, And every single time it would be, uh, just a little bit more confidence in what we were doing. And you could see the light bulbs coming on. You could see the life coming back in the guys. And not only was it doing something for the men in the program, but the volunteers would leave and they would text me later. They would see me later in the week and say, man, that was so good for me. I got to see the gospel yes. in action. I got to see somebody's life being changed. And I got to be a part of it just by bringing over a meal. And when that happened, we began to do bragging a bro and different things on Sunday night. I knew we were onto something that was pretty special.
0: Yeah. And, so for those of you listening who don't know, it sounds like you're describing what is now the format for a Sunday night meeting now that grows on across the country. That's amazing to hear.
1: Absolutely. and, and <laughs> I, mean, you know, I wish you could say, oh, the master plan. We, we thought of this and we thought of that. And that's is not the case. Yeah. Sometimes you just get out there and you start trying things. And, and God does what only he can do to make things really special. And you realize that in the moment. And as a leader, the best thing you can do is have eyes to see and start to implement what is
0: clearly working and what is God breathed. So good. Love that. Well, Lance, Thank you so much for joining us for this first episode. Thank all of you for listening. Please, please stick around. We've got nine more of these coming in uh, preparation for the 10-year celebration of hope. Go get your tickets. Yes. On that note, in the show notes, for those of you listening and up on the screen, for those of you watching, we will put up the link, HIA10.com. Right. They're going fast. They really are. They're going <laughs> very fast. I remember uh, when we first put this thing out, I, was, uh, n- I did not see that happening. And then when I got the uh, numbers back from Lance and my boss, I was like, oh my goodness. So HIA10.com. Don't miss your chance to see Ben Fuller and Tim Tebow. And also um, a wonderful word from Lance and Allison Lang. If this is your first time listening, please, please, please give us a five-star review and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Hope Dealers Pod. We'll put that up on the screen and in the show notes. And we will see you again next time. This has been the Hope Dealers Podcast. A new
2: place, a new home. For a while, let me feel alive. Nothing to
1: hold me back. Damn time, just enjoy the bride.
0: Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. Oh, I, feel,
2: I, feel, I, feel, I feel, so alive.